0: This, this is
1: the Second, Second
0: Story Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. As someone who works with teenagers every day, I'm used to fielding a lot of personal questions. Many are on topic, like, where did you go to college? And did you get a perfect score on your SATs? Some, however, tend to get a little bit more personal. The most common are about my appearance, how much did your eyebrow piercing hurt is a particular highlight. Regularly dealing with teens requires you to prepare for any number of probing asks, a fact that both I and this week's teller Diana Myers have learned. In their story, Diana tells of how one particularly personal question sparked a reflection on her ancestry and upbringing. Recorded live at Pub 626 in March 2016, Second Story is proud to present The Beautiful In Between.
0: I'm standing in a classroom of Hmong students at the Hmong American Peace Academy in Milwaukee. I've been asked to come and speak to them because they've come to see the show I'm in and because I look like them. I am, in fact, one of only a handful of professional actors they've ever met in person. Who looks like them. What they don't know is that our differences outnumber our similarities. The entire population of this school is Hmong. I went to predominantly white schools until until college. They reside in the Lindsay Park neighborhood of Milwaukee where their families immigrated and settled largely during the Vietnam War and where they have a community where few of them are ever likely to leave. As long as I can remember, I have found myself, more often than not, in a place that I now call the in-between, standing slightly awkwardly in places where I never quite fit in. I'm pondering this as their teacher introduces me and invites their questions. Their hands shoot up. How old are you really? To which my response is always, old enough. What's the hardest role you've ever had to play? Juliet. We had no rehearsal and no director, and I learned my lines all by myself, and I showed up to the back of a bar. Am I allowed to say bar in a school? Yeah? Okay, cool. Uh, And we performed it that night in front of everyone. What do you like most about acting? Telling stories that matter, that change people's minds. These are questions I'm quite used to. Talkbacks and teaching and visiting classrooms in this way is a common and familiar practice to me. It's created a certain kind of story that I've written about myself, a practiced and well-rehearsed version of me curated specifically just for these situations. And I'm in the midst of this Q&A when one student raises his hand, leans his head to one side and shyly without looking me in the eye, asks, Um... So you're, like, Asian, right? (laughs) I'm kind of caught off guard. Yeah? (laughs) I slowly realize that my tone has begun to indicate more of a question than an answer, as if to say, where is this going? So then, um, he shifts in his seat uncomfortably. Why is your last name, like... Myers. (laughs) I pause, sigh deeply, he's only 14, he doesn't understand that any question really could be a prying one. It's because I'm adopted. I hate saying that. I don't even like the feeling of forming the words and spitting them out of my mouth. It doesn't really matter how many times I say it, it never really feels better. And I, I know, I know what you're thinking. It's shame or embarrassment. It's not. I would liken the feeling more to exasperation. See, outside of the classroom, when I encounter new people, the line of questioning takes on a very predictable pattern. There is a routine with which I have become extremely familiar. So it always begins with a poorly veiled false nonchalant and an elongated, oh. (laughs) A drawn out sing-songy lilt as though they believe the longer the vowel, the more intimacy points they've earned. And thus more right to ask me intrusive questions. Where are you from? I grew up in Michigan. This is my first warning shot, my raised hackles, my bared teeth, the sign at the edge of my property that reads, do not enter. Sometimes they take the hint and steer the conversation in a new direction, but usually the response is a curious, oh, followed by a brief yet thoughtless pause. Then, where are you from from? Or, okay, but where are your parents from? Or, okay. But what's your nationality? Once on an Uber ride, I made a game out of seeing just how evasive I could be and for how long until the frustrated driver finally blurted out, Okay, but then why are your eyes so slanty? I asked him if this information was imperative for his job of getting me from point A to point B. The car went quiet just the way I like it. (laughs) See, I've traveled this road many a time and it doesn't really matter how I answer or what I say. All it does is create a lose-lose. Dodge the question and it's like I've thrown the first ball in a game of catch with an annoyingly enthusiastic puppy. (laughs) Cut to the chase and tell people I'm adopted and suddenly everyone wants to offer their opinions. Tell me about their niece's sister-in-law's cousin who also adopted an oriental or I spend the rest of the conversation answering their increasingly ignorant comments and questions about my real parents. I wonder often in the middle of these awkward dinner parties, first dates and Uber rides, what kind of story these people would be satisfied with. Are there some magic words that would somehow prevent them from treating me as though I've suddenly become nothing but a riddle they're entitled to solve? Or maybe the better question is, what story would I be comfortable telling? If there's anything you learn as a teller of stories, it's that the trick in telling is not whether you have a story worth telling. Everyone does, no exceptions. A good storyteller knows that life doesn't happen in neat little narratives. We assign them. We create stories by starting with the facts as we see them and then determining their most exciting and meaningful elements in retrospect. So this past summer, I decided that I should fill in the blanks, start with the facts that I didn't know. I sought out the agency that coordinated my adoption. It was shockingly easy. A simple search turned up a very accessible result online. So I drafted an email. My finger hovered above the touchpad, trembling for a moment before I pushed send. And then I figured it would take weeks to hear back. I went about devising ways to distract myself. And oh, a response appeared. They asked for more info. I was referred to another department. There was a quick exchange. And less than a week later, a small attachment showed up right there in my inbox. So here I am, thinking that this is like gonna be this life-altering, earth-shattering moment, when in reality, it's just a matter of clerical response to the woman at the other end of this message. I clicked on the file at the bottom of a surprisingly short thread, and it popped open. I read that I had been born on July 26th in Masan, South Korea, a city approximately 160 miles south of Seoul, which is where I had always thought I'd been born, and surrendered on August 7th. I was at the time of measuring 19.7 inches, seven pounds with a full head of dark brown hair. Comments by the writer of the file indicated that I ate well and slept most of the time. Handwritten verbatim underneath that are the words, cries loudly when hungry, stops when held. It was at that moment I realized, we really don't change that much. I finished reading my file. I read it again and again. If I could have held it and turned it over in my hands, I'm sure I would have. I don't really know what I was hoping to find. Clues, perhaps, breadcrumbs. But what I ended up with were more questions. What had transpired in the nearly two weeks between my birth and my surrender? Did she ever hold me? Do I look like her? Was any of it like The Handmaid's Tale? Okay, and why is the time of my birth not listed as I would really love a full Chani Nicholas astrology chart made, please? (laughs) And here is sort of where the buck stops. All paths seem to lead to the same place standing in a classroom of high school freshmen in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I am carrying the baggage of every one of these terrible conversations and feeling raw and bare. And let me tell you, there is nothing more terrifying than feeling that way in front of a bunch of teenagers. (laughs) But I say the words, I am adopted. And I'm met with this cacophony of oh's and cool's. And for the first time in a really long time, I'm sort of off script. I'm telling them about me, the real me. And since then, I've realized that stories might start with facts, yeah. But those don't always add up to the truth. The truth is that I have always existed in this place of ambiguous unmooring. I'm still always sort of wavering there in the middle, walking a tight line in a seemingly constant balancing act. When I was a kid and I was asked to draw myself, I would always draw a girl with blonde hair and round blue eyes. The curves of my short, stout body, which were already evident at a young age, I would straighten and stretch out into a tall, lanky depiction of the types of girls I grew up with. It's taken me years to be able to look at a photo of myself and not cringe. As an adult, old Asian women perpetually approach me hoping that I speak their language. I have, multiple times, had to change dry cleaners because the women there become so incredibly excited when they realize I'm also Korean and then so devastated when they find out I'm adopted. I once spent an entire 30 minutes uncomfortably trying to escape the shockingly tight embrace of a tiny woman who couldn't stop trying to pet and rock me while she effusively expressed her guilt and despair. And I want to say to these women, I I know how you must feel, I do. But what I usually do is leave and then I ask someone else to pick up my stuff and then I never go back. (laughs) I don't identify as white, nor would I want to but I also watch with envy as my friends and peers of color celebrate and lift up their cultures together in a deeply rooted communal way that I know I'll never get to have. I'm a daughter between two mothers, one with whom I had a deeply complicated relationship and who is now deceased, the other from a world that I will never truly know or understand and whose language I don't speak. And I've always operated under this assumption that everyone else gets to start out with a certain set of quantifiable, knowable facts about themselves. And it seemed to me that everyone took that for granted. But then, I turn around. I shift my focus from the past to the future from this point here in the middle, that's the present. (laughs) And I realize (laughs) that it is full of unknowns. For all of us. So, here we are. I am here. I wrote standing, but I'm sitting. uh, In a room, largely of strangers, and I am telling a story. My story. And even though it's sometimes really scary, not a single one of us knows what's going to happen next. But maybe the most exhilarating part of that is that we don't have to wait for our stories to happen to us. We get to make the choice to write them ourselves. We are all slowly, painstakingly scratching out our own stories, hoping that at some point, somewhere, a sentence, a paragraph, a witty turn of phrase will strike a chord with someone else, and that they will hear it and be filled with the unmistakable feeling of being recognized and seen. Maybe, just for those few moments every now and then, the in-between is worth it.
1: This story was curated by LaTanya Lane, produced by Kit Ryan, and directed by Max Spitz, with music and sound design by Nick Ward. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamak Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this,
0: this is
1: the Second, second
0: Story Podcast.